Okay, 2 Peter chapter 1. Oftentimes, last words are of first importance. A few years ago, my grandfather on my dad's side, Hudson Shedd, passed away in a care center in Bradenton, Florida. Grandpa lived a long life following Christ. Most of his life, and indeed his birth, the beginning of his life, were in South America. In Bolivia and Uruguay, two of the main places where he was, in Chile as well. But the last couple decades of his life, he lived in Bradenton, Florida, in a missionary village. Pretty cool place if you'd ever get a chance to visit it. Lots of stories, lots of interesting personalities, lots of love for Jesus. But in his final days, he was no longer in that village. He was in this care center. And one of the last times that I saw him, uh, there were a number of us from the family gathered around, and he prayed. And what he prayed hit me like a spiritual ton of bricks. He prayed from Philippians 1.27. Let our manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is a man whose life, sorry, I'm going to tear up a little bit. This is a man whose life exemplified that. He was not, Hudson was not perfect. Sometimes we as a family laugh about his imperfections. But he loved Jesus. And he served him, and he walked in a way, he let the manner of his life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. This morning, as you're going to see as we read the section, you're going to see that this entire letter, these are Peter's last words to the churches that he loves. He understands these to be his last words, but of first importance. As I told you last week, we're kind of doing like a mini-series within the series as we open up. Verses 1 through 3, you can really know God. Verses 4 through 7 from last week, you can really grow in God. And this week, verses 8 through 15, you can really know God that you know God. So let's look at 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to, in fact, read those first 15 verses all at once. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. 
For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I, Peter, intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. O Holy Spirit, would you inhabit your word this morning in a way that brings life to the glory of Jesus and the Father, we ask. Amen. So, Grandpa Hudson prayed, may our manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He he, I don't know if he was thinking those were his last words, but they're the last words I remember from him. They reverberated through my life. Peter is saying, listen, I'm nearing death, and I need to give you my last words, but they are of first importance. And so I'm going to point you, first of all, to the end of what we just read, verses 12 through 15. Because this is Peter getting personal with them, and he gives them three reminders. I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Peter's saying, I always want to remind you about these qualities. I want you to know them, even though you already know them. I know that you're strong in the faith. I want you to grow stronger. He goes on and says, I think it right as long as I'm in the body to stir you up by way of reminder. As long as I'm alive, I will keep reminding you, churches. I want you to be stirred up. He's, he's writing this letter saying, listen, I'm about to die. I want you to hear these words and not just be lackadaisical about it. I want your souls to be stirred. I want your hearts to thump a little faster. I want you to consider your life. Since I know the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus made clear to me. I want you to be stronger through my reminders. I want to stir you up through my reminders. And I'm determined that even when I'm gone, I will make every effort 
while I'm here so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. I want you to be stronger, stirred up, and I want my reminder ringing in your ears and continuing to make you even stronger and even more stirred up even after I'm gone. Peter could be pretty intense. And that intensity is coming through here in this letter. Why is Peter so stirred up himself? Because he says, our Lord Jesus Christ has made this clear to me. Jesus himself had told Peter he only had a little while left. But that's not really what he's getting at. That's kind of the... um, That's the effect of the cause that he's in relationship with Jesus, that he's been told this. At the core of it, he's saying, I know Jesus. If I didn't know Jesus, he wouldn't have told me. I wouldn't have had the relationship to hear from Jesus about the end of my life. He says, in fact, I have seen his power and majesty. That will be in verse 16 next week. Peter says, he's the one who made it clear to me that I will die soon. I'm going to see him soon. And I want you to know the way to see him soon, too. So I'm reminding you. But reminding them of what? On your phone, you might still have the reminder app. And you know, you, when you put in a rem- reminder, you can say like how, how urgent it is and how many times it should remind you, all right? Peter's saying this is of utmost importance, urgence. And I'm going to keep reminding you, you know, you want to set the, the timer for, you know, one week before the event, one day before the event, one hour, five minutes, whatever it may be. It's like the reminders are going to keep coming. But what's, what's, in that remi- what's on that reminder line For Peter, it's these qualities, these qualities. Verse 12, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. It's the same word in the Greek as verse 15, recall these things. He's specifically talking about the list that we mentioned last week. Now, let's think about qualities Qualities identify quality. Let me explain what I mean there. Let's say you're a big fan of Nikes. That's the only kind of shoe you wear. Somebody might say, well, why do you wear Nikes? Well, you might have a few different reasons, but all those reasons could be summed up by their quality. Why are they quality? Well, then you can start listing qualities that you observe in that pair of shoes that make them quality. You get my gist? So when you buy your favorite brand of dot, 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 you assume quality, and it's backed up by the qualities that you expect, that perhaps you've experienced before or someone has recommended to you. Oh, when you get that, Just wait. Just listen how those earbuds will sound. When you go to that restaurant, get the chilaquiles. They're going to 
These qualities explain the quality. We have this expectation that the product or whatever we eat or drink will live up to the standard that we've experienced and we want to experience again. And we can be surprised if it doesn't quite live up to what we've experienced or the hype that somebody else has given something. All right? To be quality is identified by qualities. You might remember from last week that list of qualities. Take faith and add to it virtue and knowledge and self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. Peter's saying, I'm so stirred up. I want to remind you to always remember these qualities because these qualities identify a true quality of faith. A faith that lasts. A faith that you, church, churches, have obtained, and if you look at verse, chapter 1, verse 1, have obtained that is equal in quality or value to our faith, Peter speaking for himself. See, this is a faith made by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the qualities of a true faith reflect on the manufacturer of that faith. So where do we go with these? Well, we go to three quality promises. Let's look at verses 8 through 11. These promises are so quality that Peter says this makes this amazing certainty. Through them, we become partakers in the divine nature. So hear me on this. The promises of God have two effects. Number one is this. His promises are sovereignly effective. That means what God says is true and what God says happens. His promises work on us. Because he works on us. So when he says something is true, if that applies to us, we can know that it's true and it is happening. Or in another subset, will happen. So God's promises are sovereignly effective, but his promises are also to be believed. They work on us. They're, I'm sorry. We grow in the knowledge of God as we believe his promises to be true and then in faith, act on them. If you're wondering what that looks like, read Hebrews 11 this week. True quality faith is always active quality faith. Because it's taking God's promises, believing what he has said, and saying, I can now act on them because I know God is true. So Peter then here presents three promises. The first one being the promise of produce. 
produce, as in Edgewater produce, fruit, living stuff that comes off of vines and trees and plants and out of the ground. Peter makes a promise of produce, a spiritually fruitful life. Verse 8, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If these increasing qualities are yours, they prevent you from being somehow ineffective, from somehow having a faith that is fruitless in the knowledge of Christ. What he's saying is this, this is kingdom life. This is fruitfulness, effectiveness, not from yourself, but from God. So we should ask this question because he's saying, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you. There's the promise. They keep you from being ineffective. So I turn that positive. They indeed make you effective and fruitful. Why are they increasing? Well, for one thing, if you look at verse 5, as we did last week, Peter says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. They are increasing because we are effortly seeking to make them increase. We are adding, for example, virtue to faith. But secondly, and actually more importantly, they are increasing because the power of God lives inside the Christian. If you're a Christian, resurrection power lives in you. That's the only way you can actually be a Christian. We'll get to that in a moment. But the power of God lives inside of the individual Christian and the Christian church. And so these qualities are increasing because of who we are. These qualities prevent fruitlessness because they indeed are the fruit. And if you have plenty of qualities, it shows that you have plenty of true quality Another place to read this week would be Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, where Paul talks about there being no law about the fruit of the Spirit. You, you, can, you can eat that fruit, you can show that fruit as much as you want. Go for it. Let me, let me just sidebar here a little bit because you might think, okay, this is all good. Andy, I, I get to see your fruit every Sunday. I hope you see my fruit throughout the rest of the week. I hope that what happens here is just um, agreeing, complimenting the life, the pastoral life that I lead. Can I just encourage you? I see growing fruit in so many of you. I see true resurrection life showing out in virtue and in godliness and in self-control and in knowledge and brotherly love and just love, steadfastness through trial, godliness. 
You don't have, let me, let, me, let me summarize what I was meaning to say there. You don't have to have a ministry position to have ministry fruit and effectiveness. There's no law against the fruit of the Spirit because every Christian has the Holy Spirit and every Christian can bountifully display that fruit. You don't have to be behind the pulpit. You don't have to be leading a discipleship group. You don't have to be dot, dot, dot in order to be fruitful. Peter says right here, it is these qualities that are the fruit. They keep your faith from being ineffective and fruitless because they indeed come out of the spirit-filled Christian. So look for them. Practice them. Verse 9, whoever lacks these qualities, here's the flip side of the coin, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Again, this is the measure. You got to look at yourself and say, do I see these qualities in my life? Not because this is that our faith is a faith of works, but our faith in Christ is a faith that works. It is a faith that God works in his people. So it does display fruit. So we must look at our lives and say, do I see that fruit? Or, as we see in verse 9, do I lack it? Because if you lack these qualities... You're so nearsighted that you're blind. See, those, these qualities are, are God-looking qualities. In a sense, they're looking at, at life with 20-20 clarity. Because you begin to say, I know the Spirit lives inside of me. By God's grace, he saved me through the blood of Christ. And so my faith is secure in his righteousness. And I want to see these things happen in me. It's actually seeing life rightly. But Peter's saying, but if you don't have those qualities, you're not assessing yourself correctly. You're not assessing Christ correctly. You're not understanding the filling of the Spirit correctly. And you're so nearsighted that you're blind. You've forgotten that you have been cleansed from your former sins. You've forgotten the gospel. You, you start, when you don't have these qualities, you're starting to just say, you know what? I'm good. I'll do whatever my flesh desires. I'll do whatever is next in front of me because that's actually all that I can see clearly is what's right here. So it makes me very reactive to my situations, reactive to my suffering, reactive to temptations because I can only see right here. This person, these people have forgotten the grand view of the gospel. That we can be forgiven forever. So let's not forget. Let's allow our manner of life to match up with the gospel that we believe. And continue to supplement the faith that has been manufactured by the righteousness of Christ. Why does Peter contrast the qualities, the quantities of qualities? Because these qualities identify true quality of faith. 
And if you don't have the qualities, it's a warning that you don't have the faith. That's promise one, promise of produce. Second one is this, promise of practice, verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you, here's the promise, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. This is Peter's call to action, this promise of practice. True quality of faith belongs to those who are called and elect. Now you're starting to wonder, what is Peter talking about here? Calling and election. Let's take them one at a time. Calling is the reality of Jesus calling his sheep. And his sheep hear his call. It might not always be an audible voice. But his sheep hear his call and they respond to him in faith. In John 10, Jesus said this, The sheep hear his voice, speaking about himself, and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. The sheep follow him and they know his voice. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Now, if you know Jesus this morning, it's likely that you could describe something of this sort in your own faith story. I had no love for Jesus. I had no time for Jesus. But then all of a sudden, there was a time when though I was doing my own thing, all of a sudden, my heart changed. And I knew that Jesus was calling me to himself. Calling happens in real time. And as Romans 8 tells us, calling leads to justification. The reality that by Jesus' blood, we are made righteous. We are justified in God's sight. All debt, all guilt taken away because Jesus has paid it all. That's calling, happens in real time. But here's election. Also happens in real time, but a different real time. Eternity past. God elects. God chooses those who will be his. Let me read in John 6, verse 37. Jesus says this, All that the Father give me, gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Later on in John 6, 63 through 65, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. Why? In parentheses it says, For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And Jesus said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. This is the doctrine of election that God chooses. In Ephesians 1, 3 through 4, Paul writes this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us 
in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Kind of sounds like 2 Peter 1.3, right? This blessing, he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. Paul goes on to say this, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing even as he chose you in him before the foundation of the world. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So here's the reality. Election happened before the foundation of the world in eternity past. If you're a Christian, it's because God chose you to be a Christian. No work of yourself, not because he knew that you would choose him. No, because ultimately that would put the onus on you. That would put the boast in you. 1 Corinthians is very clear. The boast is not in us at all. This is God's sovereign right and sovereign grace. To which there are, there's a lot in our hearts that says, but, 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 but. That's not what Peter's talking about here, all the buts. Peter's taking election for granted. He's not explaining it here. He's saying this is the reality of you churches. This is the reality of you Christians. Confirm your election. But I do want to address one of the buts. Because you may think, but if I'm waiting to figure out if I'm elect, what if I'm not? And what do I do if I don't think I am? Well, I want you to hear this. Election is a gift in two ways. Peter's using it in one way, but for the sake of pastoring you this morning, I also want to use it in the other way. Election is a gift of invitation. Believe and receive eternal life. And for that invitation, I go back to John chapter 6. Listen to what Jesus says. He's going to basically point to election and then point to belief. This invitation. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. The father knows the elect. He gives them to the son. And Jesus will not lose any of them. But raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's good news, people. That's good news because it says God is sovereignly in charge even of salvation. To save me from judgment is his prerogative. But graciously, through Christ, he makes this invitation. So this morning, if you're wondering, ah, I don't know if I'm elect. I don't know if I can accept the gift of salvation. Jesus himself here says, look at me and believe. Don't worry about election. That's a theological, beautiful reality. But Jesus is saying, look at me and believe. Pastor Rich, who was an interim pastor here whew, many years ago now, he used to talk about this, and he says, here's the deal. 
to figure out this reality of salvation and election. Think of, a, think of an arch. And let's say there are a lot of people walking towards this arch. And on that arch it says, this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Promise, 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 promise. Look to Christ. Walk through the arch in belief of him. And then when you get on the other side, you look back and on the other side of the world, or the other side of the arch says, chosen before the foundation of the world. That's grace. That's a gift. That's an open invitation. But it's also a gift of assurance. Jesus' sheep make it to the end. John 10, 27 through 30 says this. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Don't be scared by election. Embrace it. Rejoice in it. It's a gift of assurance. And if you don't know Christ, look on Christ and believe. So there's this promise of practice, and yet Peter, he's talking about calling an election. Peter's writing to a church of Christians, Christians who know that like faith, calling an election are invisible realities. Christians who Peter called a chosen people in 1 Peter 2.9. By the way, I know it's hot in here. I'm trying to fall asleep. Not up, I'm trying to fall asleep up here at the same time. He's talking to these Christians who he has called chosen, who he has called elect in 1 Peter. But the thing is, some of these people have walked away. Some of these people have flipped into false teachers, as we're going to see in the rest of this letter. So they're wondering, will that be me? Will that be me? Have I truly been called? Am I elect or will I walk away like they have? These are questions of assurance. Can I really be sure that I really know God? You may ask those questions. I ask those questions. Peter is answering those questions. That's the whole reason he's reminding them. He doesn't want to leave a, a willy-nilly, flimsy church behind. He wants to leave a church behind that continues to remember the promises of God and trusts him. See, we get assurance backwards oftentimes. We want to assure ourselves. 
And so as we seek to assure ourselves, we easily slip into self-assurance. We see our faults, our weaknesses. There's no way I can keep this up. Will I make it to the end? And so our questions of assurance are often very self-based, self-measured, instead of being Christ-based and God-measured. The real question is not, will I make it to the end? But will Jesus make it to the end? Can he keep me? Because, see, here's the thing. It is God's chosen one, Jesus the Christ, who makes sure, as we've read multiple times in John already, makes sure that his sheep make it to the end. They will make it. Christian, you will make it because Jesus makes it. You're not just saved and then left to kind of like flounder there on your own like a ship, like a fish flopping on the deck of a ship. That's not what being fishers of men means. It means that when you're saved, you're brought into the luscious reality of the vine. Jesus, who is the vine, passes the power of his spirit into his sheep who are the branches. I know I'm mixing metaphors, but it's all in John. So then, the question shifts from one of self-assurance to one of Christ's assurance. So Peter is saying, to bring it back here to 2 Peter, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. These qualities are fruit that blossoms by faith in the promises of God, demonstrating vine life, abiding in Christ, remaining with Christ, confirming our calling and election, what does that mean? It means making visible the invisible realities of faith, calling, and election. And I need to add this one reality to it. Peter is talking to churches, churches who are individuals, Sorry, churches who are made up of individuals. So as he's talking, he's saying, make your calling and election sure, individuals, within the corporate body of Christ. Chosen, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, all with different names. Chosen among the chosen. So when this confirmation happens, it must happen. It happens best. It happens necessarily and beautifully within the body of Jesus Christ. Not just living your own faith life over here, but living within the vine, within Christ's body, the church. So, when it looks at these things to add virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. If you're not with God's people, these things are not going to fruitfully bear out the way that they should. If you're walking in shame 
or you're walking in loneliness, or you're walking in, I just don't have time for that. Then you're not, you're not pursuing these things in the way that you could. Let me just tell you this one very simple thing. You're all here this morning, praise God. If you could find one other time this week to be with somebody else who was here, that would put you one more step into adding these, supplementing these things to your faith. That's why we do Wednesday nights. If you're a Christian and you're here on a Sunday morning and if you come on a Wednesday night, I guarantee you, you will grow. Because these qualities happen in that gathering. I'm saying this to you guys right now because this Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. This is how we get the affirmation that these things are increasing in our lives. These are the, way that we, the ways that we get this affirmation that we are in the vine life, that we belong to Christ. Last promise, and this is the shortest of the three, though the most glorious. Promise of produce, promise of practice, promise of providence. Verse 11 for in this way, there will be, there's the promise, richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For the person who is born again, they have life in them. They are saved. Their life will bear fruit it will add these qualities that show a quality of true faith for that person there is the promise that one day those gates will open and there will be provided for you an entrance walking in like ed mcmahon with his collar popped i'm walking in actually i take that back walking in humbly Boasting in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there's only one way that you could get there. And it's through his love. We will celebrate. We will revel in the reality of eternal life. But we will come low. We will come humbly. Because it's all of grace. Yes you can really know that you know God through faith in Christ. Election is a reality that is secured by God. Assurance is a daily reality that we walk in, that we look to see, are these qualities in me? Are they ever increasing? Am I practicing them? If someone has faith in Christ and is deliberately practicing these things, that, my brothers and sisters, is assurance. You can know that you really know God. This is what has stirred Peter up to reminder. And this is also what stirs us up to come to the table. Jesus wanted us to remember as well. Do this in remembrance of me because we do this regularly anticipating the day when we will be in that eternal kingdom eating and drinking with him.